everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm your host, Yara Minova, and in this week's episode, we are back with the lovely Nasreen Maktabi with a discussion on toxic relationships. Nasreen Maktabi is a registered psychotherapist from Canada who works with patients dealing with low self-esteem, post-traumatic stress, women's mental health, and transitioning genders, to name a few. The focus in our podcast, however, is her expertise in relationships, particularly attachment styles and relationship issues. Nasreen has been on the BTS podcast before to talk about attachment styles and dating. And I must say, it has been one of the most positively received episodes with so much great feedback and, of course, where one we can all relate to very well. Nasreen, welcome back. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Sierra. It's lovely to be your guest. Oh, thank you. Nasreen, I feel like our three episodes, I think I can even call them series at this point, really tie in nicely with one another as we started off by talking about attachment styles, how people can have more or less, you know, one form of attachment style and how it relates back to their childhood or, you know, with their primary caregivers. We then spoke about what is at the heart of a secure attachment or a secure relationship Uh, discussing the phenomena of rupture and repair, which I've personally found so helpful. And today we'll uncover in more depth about toxic relationships. How does one end up in one? Is it possible to go from healthy to toxic and vice versa? What are some of the toxic traits and qualities? So there's a lot to uncap there. So to kick off this conversation, I want to first make a distinction between what being toxic actually means. How would you define the word toxic in context to social relationships? And if I may understand if there's a difference between an abusive relationship and toxic. So can a relationship be toxic even without being abusive? So I would say toxic relationship is similar to an abusive one. I mean, those are very general terms. So... Mm -hmm. Toxic is when you're feeling hurt and you're not getting your needs met and you keep staying in the relationship. The definition of abuse is when someone, let's say, calls you names and psychologically gaslights you, okay, or someone beats you up, right? This is abuse. Someone rapes the other person. This is abuse. So abuse, I would say, is maybe taking toxic to a whole other level, is actual abuse. Now, toxic is when people make small jabs, right, and manipulate you, and you stay in the relationship. And then the more you stay in it, then you become very resentful, but you stay in it because you're getting something out of it, let's say, you want to be in a relationship or you think this person will change, one day will be nice. You have these all underlying expectations that something is going to change, but it does not change. And you're like, okay, I'm going to tolerate this while my needs are not being met. And this person keeps, um, like, because the other person knows this and you're staying in the relationship, this person doesn't have any... I would say respect, the respect goes down, so your self-worth goes down, and this person just keeps on giving you, let's say, breadcrumbs, or what, whatever the situation is, maybe calling you names, very 
there is some snidey comments or uh, maybe talking bad about you behind your back or holding you accountable in front of friends. So whatever the style of the abuse is. Yeah. So how do you know when you are actually in a toxic relationship? What are some of the signs um, that would classify as being toxic? So if you're not happy and you stay in it, it becomes Mm -hmm. a toxic situation. When you're not happy, it's because you're not getting your needs met. And usually when you're not getting your needs met, there is something else happening. And the something else could be bordering on abuse. You actually mentioned a concept to me, Nasreen, called the drama triangle. And basically this concept of destructive interactions between two or even two or more people who are in a conflict. And I got to say, when I read about it, I was really amazed because um, I feel it really can apply to not only romantic relationships, but even social relationships in general, relationships that you have with maybe certain friends or even family members. So I really would like you to uncap that a little bit more for us. What is the drama triangle? And maybe you can give us an example as well of how it would apply in a real life interaction, let's say between a couple. So yeah, so this the the toxic relationship, I think, is based on the drama triangle. So the drama triangle was first talked about by Barry and Jane Weinfeld, and you can find their books online. So it's a reverse triangle, and at the base, at the bottom, is the victim. At the top left is the persecutor, and then at the top right is the rescuer. And now each one of these states comes from a different core belief. Now the victim feels that other people should meet their needs, that they're being given the lower hand. And so this is why I say it's intertwined with codependency, because You know, when we enter into a relationship, ideally for the relationship to work, you come as whole, two whole people who meet Mm. as equals and who appreciate each other and give each other love freely. But when you're a victim, sometimes you give something expecting something in return. Or you come and you say, okay, I'm going to help this person in this way. They're going to help me in that way. So when you're a victim, you want someone to rescue you. This is where the rescuer comes in, right? The person, the other person with a different core belief, the persecutor usually, also, they also feel that the world was bad to them, but their attitude is like, I'm going to be more aggressive to make up for what I didn't get. So... But the way they feel, the persecutor side, the way they feel good about themselves is like they think, oh, I'm going to rescue this person. But really, they rescue by persecuting. So let's say the victim in a couplehood, the victim Mm -hmm. uh, goes into the couple and it's a man and a woman. And uh, the woman is divorced. She has a child. So the man comes, they're dating, it's great, he's very nice to her son, everything is going great. But let's say he's he's struggling financially, so she gives him money. And he keeps asking for money, and then she gets angry, she becomes a persecutor. So she's she's the rescue. So they're, they're both, they're all kind of 
going through the triangle, but each one has a favorite spot in the triangle. So he's more like the victim because he thinks, you know, he's not making so much money. She feels she's the rescuer. She helps him. But then she's so resentful and angry and persecutory at the smallest thing that he does wrong. Mm. But it all comes from her feeling entitled because she was giving him money. So then when they're talking, if let's say he's late, she, she's, she talks to him in very snidey comments. So all the while, they all have underlying resentments festering. And there is this uh, way of communicating that kind of shoots jabs at each other. Mm-hmm. So they, they're shifting from, you know, victim, I'm going to rescue you from the financial situation, but then I'm persecutor. I'm like, ah, oh, why are you doing all this wrong, always criticizing? And it's interesting because essentially each person has kind of like a a core role of of what they like to be in the most when it's in this drama triangle but people can jump from you know from persecutor to rescuer back to victim etc and honestly when i was first um reading about it i really saw myself um when i was in a past toxic relationship the way that these roles would happen and it's it's just fascinating because when you're playing the victim you're really just you really believe that you really start playing this blame game that all oh, the other person is so terrible and i want them to see um what they're doing and you just you know feel kind of sorry for yourself and then you try to project that onto the other person and make them f- see that and you know when they do try to like understand it, you then become the persecutor saying that, oh yeah, see, like you're, you're this and you're that. And then, you know, the persecutor then becomes, uh, sorry, the rescuer then becomes the victim where you're, you know, changing roles and kind of targeting them or like pointing your finger at them. And it's just this constant vicious cycle of, you know, you jumping from one to the other. And it's really scary because you don't actually see it happening at all. All you see is your point of view, and then you just keep getting stuck and jumping from loop to loop. And thank you, Ciara, seriously, because you said what I missed is the is that piece that the victim then becomes the persecutor entitled because the victim uh, has very profuse boundaries. So they mm. let, they allow the persecutor to um, step on them by not having boundaries. And of course, they're going to get resentful because they did that because they want something from yeah. the persecutor. And then the persecutor doesn't give it them, doesn't want to give it to them because it's not like that. You have to have clear communication and then, and, and you have to have boundaries. The victim has to have boundaries and not give in or just give things to be nice hoping for something good to happen. So yeah. the victim allows, has, has very loose boundaries and allows for the other person to take advantage of them. And then when this keeps happening the vi- and nothing gets repaired, the victim becomes upset. So she's giving him money, giving him money. And then she's like, what the hell? And then she becomes very critical of him. And then in, in, 
such that and I've given him over $5,000 and, 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 and. Exactly. And it's, it's basically this feeling that the person gets without actually communicating it properly. You, like you said, exactly like you said, you build it up inside. You have all these things that are building up and it turns into resentment and you don't communicate it. But I wouldn't say the, that the victim or anyone is to blame here. And I kind of want to go more into um, some of the qualities that a toxic partner will have. And I'm happy for you to emphasize on these uh, yourself. But I think to me personally, the breaking of one's self-worth, you know, self-love and identity is a huge one. And um, I got to be honest, this whole episode for me was a little bit personal. Um, I didn't realize how personal it was until I started like thinking of what I wanted to talk to you about. And then as I was thinking about it, I, it kind of took me back, you know, to, to a very, very, um, toxic, uh, abusive relationship that I was in. And then I realized something that the breaking down of your self-worth is a really, is a big one, at least a personal one that I encountered. So I'm just very curious what you think about some of the main qualities a toxic partner has. I'm sorry that you, you said that this has happened. Oh no, it's fine. <laughs> so, you know, we all can get out of it. We all can get better. But I feel, I believe the, the one that is very difficult for them to see the light is the, the one who are mostly in the persecutor role because they've already been abused. And, you know, everybody goes to their role, even the most vicious role, from a place of they think they were abused and didn't get their needs met. So the persecutor usually is, has like some narcissistic traits. And I don't like to say this word yeah. because it gets thrown around a lot and then people can just paint someone as evil. But Agree. the reality is this person might come from a place where they feel they were... They did not get their needs met and they see the world as hostile. And so they want to do everything to get more. And this comes from a deep place of emptiness, of a big, big emptiness that needs all this aggression to get it filled up and to get even more, to feel higher than the other person. So this kind of person, they want mm. to always seem above other people, better than other people. And they do this at all costs. They will yell, they will scream, they will intimidate, they will bully, they will charm. And these people can be like, they will be very influential and they get away with it because when you're a victim and you have no other recourse, you kind of vanish, to be honest. You vanish with your misery. So the, the signs are pretty much somebody who's charismatic, who has clout a lot of the time. But, but the, the thing is, we can't just see the signs of a toxic person. And the, the other person, the person who's mostly in the victim role, we have to watch out because this is a person who also has comes from a place of lack and they want to be filled with the other person. And they feel that they have to let the other person 
invade their self-respect and their boundaries and take it, take mm-hmm. it without being assertive because they think that they will lose out if they send, stand up for themselves because they come from this deficient belief that they need this other person in their life to be whole. And that's where yeah. I want to go into, you know, how to get to a wholesome point. Yeah, I think we'll we'll definitely get to that, um, you know, towards the ending of this episode. But I, I just do want people to pay attention to qualities that a toxic partner will have. So, for example, things like manipulating or lying or, as I mentioned, one like breaking your self-worth or even breaking your um, your spirit. I think um, I think just being in one and reflecting these are some of the things that. I notice, and I do want to be mindful, and I do want to say that even sometimes, I, sometimes both being in a toxic relationship, at least personally, this is what happened to me, both partners end up being toxic. Of course, this is not always the case. The victim becomes the persecutor. Right, exactly. Mean words, but there's someone who's mostly in the persecutor, and 100% Sierra manipulative. This is the big one. But the persecutor manipulative does it in a very charismatic way. So you have to be, you have to watch for it. And it's difficult to, to you know, you have to really, really be patient. And it's difficult to, to crack it in the beginning, right? So that's why people fall for it. No, that's absolutely true. You don't realize that you're in a toxic relationship until, I mean, there's always this breakthrough point it it reaches to a point where, you know, you have to stop for a second and say, wait, hang on, what is happening here right now? And I think that what's also interesting is that you have to realize, you know, where that toxicity is coming from, or even why you accept that toxicity, you start engaging in behaviors that are toxic. Um, and I guess it's maybe coming from a place of pain or anger, you know, but there's this misunderstanding that basically builds up between two people and then that's it. It just keeps extending itself because it's easier to deal with the pain than the actual problem. And I know this sentence might sound strange. How is it easier to deal with the pain than the problem? But I think it's because dealing with the pain keeps you in that victim mindset and role to kind of keep you in that safe space, which you're, you are so used to being because you're so used to playing that victim role. So you actually, you know, you g- give in to that toxicity um, by not dealing with the problem, but just rather continuing to deal with that pain because you don't know any other way from it until I think it reaches a point where it hits you. At least, I mean, that's that's how I think of it, but I'm curious to know what you think. Yeah, the, the victim role is ba- basically all these core beliefs we develop as young children. And these becomes ingrained in our neurological system. And there's, you know, a lot of poor me, a lot of positivity comes from gaining that attention. And we ca- mm-hmm. I can call it the, the internal drugstore. So what happens when people get into the situation and they start blaming themselves for being the victim or blaming the other person, you get a lot of adrenaline going on inside of you. And this is very thrilling. So it becomes like almost like a neurological internal experience. 
you're the victim, you go talking to people about it, you're frustrated. It's just an ongoing bottom, bottomless pit, instead of standing up for yourself. So an unfamiliar behavior is to stand up for yourself or to fulfill your own needs right. spiritually, psychologically, financially, instead of blaming the other person. You see, that you have to yeah. move out of victim mentality. Because let's say you're in a couple, and the woman, let's say, she wants him to message her every morning and afternoon. If he doesn't, he's a bad guy. Like, what, what really happens is that you want to be in touch with yourself. There's a part of you that wants your love and attention. Why should he be always the one reaching out? You can reach out for him, but ultimately, so what I'm saying is we have to really fulfill our own internal landscape versus always waiting for the other person to do it or longing. Yeah. But I mean, do you think the right person would do it? Um, if let's say you're in a relationship and both one person, you know, has some sorts of, and I wouldn't call them demands. Cause like for some people, I mean, personally for me, it's not important to like have a good morning text every day, but for some people it is. And so if someone wants a message, like, is that really a bad thing? Like, I think if you're in a secure relationship and let's say one partner always likes something and the other one, I don't think it's, I'm just wondering, I don't think it's necessarily toxic if you like would want something that would make you happy, shouldn't that be the goal that you're trying to make each other so happy? And It's free. You know, mm-hmm. if someone doesn't want to do something for you, you can't make them. That's do. true. You can tell them, oh, yeah, it's nice. I, I like this. Yeah, of course, you can tell them this. Go for it by all means. They decide if they would do it or not. Absolutely. And then based on that, you decide how you react. You can't manipulate. You can't say, oh, I'm the victim. No, you take action. You accept it or you deal with it. Let's say your boyfriend is flirting with someone else. You tell him, you know what? I don't like when you flirt with other people, me around. It hurts my feelings. That's all you can do. You get angry, that's manipulation. You stonewall, that's manipulation. You name call him, that's abuse. All of that. Right? You become the persecutor from the victim. All you can do when you're assertive, you tell him, you know what? I feel disrespected when this happens. Not you make me feel. Say, I feel disrespected when my boyfriend is flirting and looking another woman up and down. You know, you don't even have to tell him this has to stop. It's clear. That's how you, how you ask for your needs. And then if he keeps doing it, that's something else, right? Then you decide, okay, well, I have to make a move. What's my move? I pull, I don't want to be in this. That sounds toxic, though, for me. Like, this situation that you just curated. I, I mean, first of all, I think if you're in a secure relationship, you don't, you won't really care if your partner is, you know, appreciating someone else. You kind of laugh about it together. That's That's something I think. And secondly, if your partner is, though, like, actively doing something with someone else and then you're frustrated about it, that feels very toxic for me. I I don't think that feels like a safe space for both partners to be in. Yeah, I totally agree. So, but, you know, when you're in a relationship, you decide if him admiring someone else, 
you have the right to say if this hurts you or not. Right, right. Or vice versa. She can be the one looking. (laughs) It's not always the male. Exactly. So whoever, but you can decide if you want to be in the presence of this behavior or not and tell the other person whatever the situation is. And then when it becomes toxic, Mm. if, if he does that, you can say what your needs are. Right. Let's say you said what was the other option. Let's say that they do something like they talk to the girl or they touch her or something and say something to your partner instead of acting out. Then you come out of the drama triangle and you're assertive. You say, you know, this is not acceptable for me when the evening is over. Instead of like acting out, like getting drunk, making drama or just leaving, (laughs) standing the door. Absolutely. No, no, I totally agree with you on that. And it's funny because um, the victim role and this whole role between victim and rescuer, it's something that I feel like rom-com movies play into, like these Hollywood romantic movies, right? Like the guy comes and saves the day. He rescues this damsel in distress who needs help, which I think is so weird. When I was like reading the dynamic, I was like, this sounds so much like a Hollywood movie. Yeah, happy ending at the end. So that's what I mean, like, it's coming out from the drama triangle is not using emotions mm. to manipulate or control others, but creating safe place, exp- expressing your feelings and needs authentically without projecting it on the other person, that the other person has to save you. I want to know your thoughts on very passionate relationships. <laughs> Do you think extreme passion is related it's in some way to an unhealthy aspect or dynamic for example if you're insanely infatuated by your partner um because i always hear people saying in personal experience that the most intense and passionate relationships are usually toxic and then when you do end up in this really healthy relationship it's not really toxic anymore it's very peaceful it's respectful it's calm it's it's like very safe and happy. Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever notice such a pattern? Good question. Yeah, I would say usually relationships that flow easily and slowly, Mm. gradually over time can create a more solid conversation versus, you know, when you're passionate, you're going up with the emotions and you're moving too quickly. And then when the, which is, the emotions are what I call the internal drugstore, the adrenaline, the fight, flight, mm-hmm. freeze, all that. And then when this settles, reality comes through. And this is laid out nicely in Stan Tatkin's book, Wired for Love. He explains how to slow things down so that there's no big regrets later. And you have no idea how much, you know, the slower, the better. And it's mm. very to do that in this day and age when people get into a relationship because everybody wants has this like Hollywood everybody wants things quickly you know the quick fix these days yeah so definitely the the slower it is and that's my experience with many couples a lot of the time when people get together very quickly it becomes more explosive later yeah no, I agree. And you're so right. We we definitely got to blame Hollywood a little bit on this. They do create this, um, it's like romant- romanticizing, right? This idea, but we all know movies are not real. They're just movies. So um, 
I mean, it does happen. I, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. Of course it does. But generally, like a healthy relationship is built, is something that you work on. It's not something that just happens. It's uh, it's when two parties exactly. want to make it work. That's how you build it. You build it slowly. You take your time. You have a lot of conversations about a lot of things and like real important things. And you have a lot of fun. You spend time together. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to ask you, why do though, um, why do some people keep ending up in toxic relationships or patterns with um with you know females or males who always exert the same sort of behaviors like we spoke about those like manipulative or even white lies or you know just these certain characteristics like why do we get pulled into or get attracted to these types of personas because there's still that uh, underlying negative core belief inside that mm. you're feeling and you get attracted to these situations because of the way you act. Because if you could get attracted to someone, and then when you notice the manipulation, if you're not solid within yourself and sure of what you want and you don't give in, you won't get into those situations. So it's because yeah. you need to work on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely think inner work um, is is very important. And reflecting on, you know, an experience that I had personally, I also want to talk about how it impacts your memories and how actually I think when you're in a in a toxic slash abusive relationship, you tend to forget a lot of things. I know it doesn't happen to a lot of people, but I think in my case, or I know in a lot of people's cases, you start suppressing emotions because, you know, it's, I guess it's too painful to remember or you just kind of you know shut it shove it deep deep down and you completely forget that it happens and I know because every time like you know six months passes you just say like oh everything's great and then you might come across and you know I feel a bit uncomfortable sharing this but I think it's important um because then I would say that if people are in a toxic relationship, they should probably write down when they are in a toxic like situation because they can always look back at it. I remember I opened my phone and I saw a conversation that I had with a partner and I was just absolutely shocked at the message that I saw. First, at who I was in that situation. like It's like I didn't recognize the shell of a person I had become, but also the, you know, the, the, like just the style of, speaking that that person had and just want to be mindful me and that person are in great terms right now and we've, we've grown out of it but you know you just see it and you're just so shocked that you completely forget that you know your brain completely just shuts that down so I'm just you know I'm just curious how that happens because we completely block some memories that are too painful for us to deal with that's why I think journaling and writing or you know being aware that those moments happen are important so that you can always come back to them and say, nope, <laughs> it's not all rosy. Like, just remember, this does, this did happen, you know? So what you're talking about is, a, is some sort of form of dissociation. Sorry, some form of? Dissociation. So mm. what, what it is, is what I'm going to talk about now comes from the internal family systems model. So mm -hmm. all these 
parts, they, we all have parts of us. And they are young, wounded, traumatized parts, young parts, who thinks that we depend on other people. And the child will take disrespect and insult because they cannot do anything about it. Or they will plead and beg because they think they're helpless. They need the parent. They need the other person. And the other person is not giving them what they want because they're not a good parent or they're sick parent or whatever the situation. So you see this negative core belief comes from that wounded child. And this negative core belief is activated and the, it, it blends with the adult person and makes you act from there. So when, when you're acting, when you looked at those messages, you looked at an, a child, wounded child part of you that had blended with you, that was triggered and activated by this person and was taken over. You were, in a, you were taken over by that inner wound. And that inner wound was talking, either by, you know, pleading or shutting down whatever the situation was. And, that, and then now you're, you're in your adult and you had separated from that, you disowned that part. So that... So you don't remember, you kind of dissociated. So that's why when you right. see the, the goal is that all these parts can see each other and talk to each other. And you can realize that this part of you is not bad. There's this book by Richard Schwartz called No Bad Parts, because this part is this young part that did that in the past to help you survive. And it's still stuck there. So to, and it's still doing the same thing. So the true healing happens when you can see that part, you can thank that part and tell it, you know what, you're not bad, you're actually good. And thank you for helping me all these years to survive because that was survival behavior in a situation where you needed to be connected to someone. But now if this person isn't connected with you, you're fine. So you heal that part, you talk to it, and you let that part see you for the adult capable adult that you are and then yeah only this part will unburden and unburden means that will stop doing these self-destructive self self-destructive behaviors and will do something more fun that let's say this part is three-year-old that the three-year-old will do i don't know will draw will dance will sing usually it's creativity so yeah, and you can do this by journaling with this part and visualizing this part and loving this part and telling it, you know, I'm here for you. I love you. I'm here for you. And we don't have to turn to other people. And when we do this, then you can get into more adult fulfilling relationships that, not, uh, that are not coming from younger wounded parts that carry those negative low self-esteem, low self-worth core beliefs. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's very beautifully said and correctfully said as well. So so thank you for that. I would also say from just the other perspective in terms of looking at it from when you're in a toxic relationship, it's just it's also to be mindful like when you're forgetting about when you are in a toxic relationship or the qualities that a person has because it's easier to dismiss it or just move on or forget about it. So um just always being mindful of the actions and 
you know, the dynamics, the conversations that you have with your partner, again, partner can be a friend as well, and even a family member. Um, it's, it's just so important. Now, I want to get more into the working things outside of it. Um, the first thing I want to ask is, before I go into like, how do you get out of the drama triangle? Because I think that's very important. But I do want to ask, when do you know if it's best to leave or stay and work things out? Like at what point do you know that your toxic relationship has reached, you know, the point of no return? Because it's a cycle, right? As we were saying that you get trapped uh, in the loop. So at the rock bottom, people might stay until they can't take it anymore. Because already they have negative core beliefs that's keeping them, that's operating them, that got them in there in the first place. And until it hurts so bad, you know, then they will go. But I mean, unless they're a very aware person, always working on things. Yeah. Before leaving, you know, they would have tried to discuss things, expressing their needs their authentic feelings and um, refusing manipulative behavior, drawing boundaries. They would do that from the Mm -hmm. beginning. And then when this other person keeps not uh, honoring that, they will know when it's time to move on. They will know because everybody has different bottom lines and they will decide, you know, okay, this person has crossed my bottom line a few times now. I'm just out. Yeah, I think that's such a good point, because we always assume that the other party in the relationship is unstable. But a lot of the times, secure people, people who have a safe, um, safe, like uh, self-concept they're you know, they have self-love, they get into relationships with toxic people. And I think that's a good way of saying, like, sometimes they can even help a person get out of the toxic traits, because I really, um, although... I'm not, you know, I'm not flowering the abuser or the the toxic person, but I would say a person is toxic for a reason, right? They're not born toxic. They're, they're like that because of, you know, whatever events that they've had in their life. And I, I personally believe that sometimes people can grow and, you know, if they work on themselves really, really well, they can, they can grow with that other person. So what are your thoughts on that? Are there some ways that people, let's say they know that they have work like inner work to do they know that they have certain qualities that impact their relationship what are some of the ways that they could start working on that feeding your own hungry children so by looking inside instead of looking outside Mm. because you know we all have parts that are operating from the past and when you always look at what the other person did wrong what the other person is missing or doing wrong, what the other person has to do to make the relationship work. No, stop, look at yourself. And when you look at yourself, you might decide, okay, I need to move on or I need to express my needs better or my needs are different or this person doesn't work for me anymore. And then you have to look inside before looking at what's not going right in the relationship. And when you look inside, you might realize that you know, a lot of the time these trauma, toxic relationships come from a wounded part and you don't want to be in them at all. And then you might decide you want to leave or you might decide you have to name your need more clearly 
without manipulation or victimization. Or you might mm-hmm. decide that you need to go to couples therapist to explore what's really going on with the couple dynamic. So this would be the three options. Right. And so as a final question, as a kind of a recap, it seems that I think without fail, toxic relationships are incorporated with this drama triangle, right? Essentially, one person becomes the victim, the one person becomes the prosecutor, the rescuer. I I just want to quickly ask a question. Who is the toxic one then in the drama triangle? Would that make both of the partners toxic? Mm, I see. Okay. So then how how would one get out? Oh, sorry, sorry. How would one? I would think it just shifts. But what if one of the partners is not toxic? So would that mean that the drama triangle only takes place when both partners are toxic? Because there's a lot of the times when one partner is completely um, quite self-aware. They're, they try, they're trying to work on their relationship, but just one partner is very destructive. So then h- how would it look like that in that situation? I, I hope that makes sense what I'm trying to ask. So you're saying that, yeah, I mean, if someone is trying to work on themselves and the other person is still abusive slash toxic, that's your Yeah, let, let's let's give a hypothetical situation. There's a guy and a girl. Um, this girl, you know, she grew up in a healthy or let's let's switch roles. Let's make it the guy. The guy grew up in a very healthy household. He's always had a secure relationship with his parents. Um, he's always been in a loving family. So he, you know, has a very great dynamic when it comes to relationship. But then he meets this girl who, you know, um, has a history of, let's say, abuse in the past. And she has brought all her baggage with her to the current relationship. And she's clearly projecting all of her insecurities and all of her traumas and dramas into this guy's life now who's um, in love with her. But, you know, he he clearly sees that this that she has a lot of um pain from the past and she's projecting and manipulating him by always you know blaming and basically all all the toxic traits that we discussed so then in this situation would the drama triangle still apply or is it that both partners would have to be toxic if if someone is toxic then the other one is the victim if the other one is healthy Mm -hmm. more healed they would allow it and they would get out of it okay that's starting to make sense now. So basically the healthy person would never engage in this drama triangle. They would leave or they would draw a boundary or they wouldn't give in. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That makes total sense. Okay. So then as the final question, how would one get out of the triangle? Let's say if both, um, both parties are trapped in this triangle, how, what, what would one do to get out of it? So I think, creating a safe space where people can express their authentic feelings and not using emotional manipulation to control others. So the persecutor has to stop manipulating and the victim has to stop victimizing herself himself, you know, and attacking the other from a place of victim. Look at me, you did this to me, you're bad. That's when Mm -hmm. they become a persecutor. So, or you decide to leave if it's a relationship. If it's a family that's enmeshed, that's more complicated, but you have to really have, I think the biggest one is to stand by your boundaries. And when you stand by your boundaries, you will be with this big 
triangle, victim triangle person who, who easily suck and suck you in. But if you have this, these boundaries, you don't get sucked in. Once you let go of your boundaries, you're sucked in. Hmm. So I think the three things you said was setting your boundaries and then allowing a space for both of you to be able to express your true feelings um, and what like what the core of the issue is really about. Right. Because usually the arguments in the drama triangle has a much deeper underlying cause. Right. Um, And then, yeah, I guess communication would be the other. Yeah, I think I think the biggest tip boundaries, Mm -hmm. self-love, self-respect, knowing, not getting sucked into by whatever is shiny or the promise of saving, but to save yourself first. Right. You know, it's either like be in a relationship quickly or take it slow, get to know the person, have my space, my boundaries, and get into a relationship later. And and I really agree with that, that I think one shouldn't get into a relationship until they feel whole of themselves as as oneself. And only when they feel that they are, they can be ready to share their experiences with another person. Nasreen, this has been wonderful as always. Thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate your time. It's been wonderful to listen to you. Wonderful to speak with you as well. Thanks for your questions and that's so relevant. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and do subscribe to your favorite podcast hosting site to stay up to date with the new episode releases. Catch you guys next time.